Well, good morning, everyone. Do take a seat. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Christopher. I'm one of the clergy here, and I work particularly with postgraduate students. So shall we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, may we know resurrection hope this morning. And with all that each of us have faced over the past year, may we fix our eyes afresh on the unique hope that we can find in you. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my parents' generation talk about where they were when JFK, the American president, was assassinated. Or my peers might talk about the events of 9-11. I can remember being with a friend in Rome of all places, and I can remember the day vividly. And I guess all of us, uh, whatever generation we are from, are those who, in years to come, will be telling the story of the past year. Even as I look out at church, I still find myself surprised that I'm looking at people all wearing face masks. But this is an extraordinary historical event that we have lived through and that we will be telling the story of in years to come. Who would have thought that, uh, that these items, you know, the hand sanitizer and the face mask would become the things of, of everyday life? This was one that I bought uh, at a period of uh, optimism early on in the lockdown. I decided it might sort of cheer people up, but uh, some people said I looked like the Joker from Batman. Otherwise, others thought it might be uh, an advert for a certain online distribution company. So, uh, it also, who else has realized the value of the cotton face mask? Just so much nicer than polyester. Anyway, that's an aside. But we have all lived through something extraordinary and of historic significance that we will remember for the rest of our lives. And this is what sometimes happened. These are the kinds of events that can mark our lives. But I want to say to you this morning that nothing can compare with the significance of the historical event 2,000 years ago that actually brings us to worship this morning. Nothing from our lifetimes, which we might look at as truly significant, can compare with these incredible events of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Christian belief is, quite simply, that Jesus has defeated death itself. And then over the coming days, he appears to his followers and his friends and finally ascends to heaven. And most poignantly, I think, and most interestingly, this is not the kind of story you would tell and not the kind of way you, was, you would tell it if actually this hadn't happened and you were just trying to convince people. And intriguingly, that's perhaps no more uh, obviously the case in the fact that it is some women who are the first uh, witnesses to the fact of the resurrection. This was a time when women would sadly not have been regarded as trustworthy witnesses in the same way as men. And if you were trying to concoct a convincing story about Jesus rising from the dead, probably you wouldn't have chosen women uh, as the witnesses. But that is just one example among many where this extraordinary truth has not been written down in a way to convince you, to spin you a good story, 
but rather to set out some historical facts and invite you to consider them for yourself. And if you're someone who is still grappling with these foundational truths of the Christian faith, uh, can I invite you to consider doing an Alpha course with us or with a local church if that's more convenient? Because Alpha is a fantastic way to drill into these uh, questions and examine them for yourself. And these questions of the truth of what Christians celebrate today are really gone into in, in fantastic detail in that course. The point is, there have always been scoffers, those who have doubted this truth. And it is okay for us to want to interrogate this truth that we claim. On Friday, Good Friday, uh, the president of Humanists UK tweeted on social media, just a little reminder today, dead people don't come back to life. Well, that is the kind of thing that opponents of Christianity have been consistently saying for years and years and years. And yet still today, millions and millions and millions of people in every country and from every background are celebrating this truth. Actually, that particular woman, she's the professor of public engagement in science at the University of Birmingham, but she seems to spend quite a lot of time enjoying taking kind of well-timed pot shots at Christian faith. Um, but I do want to say that, of course, Christianity is rooted in things that are astonishing to believe. No one can pretend that the resurrection is a straightforward, scientifically rational thing to simply accept. Rather, the whole point is that God the creator of heaven and earth, breaks into history first by sending his son and then does this extraordinary miracle, defeating death and opening the way to life for anyone who chooses to follow him. And these are, I guess, the kinds of things that you would expect a preacher to be saying on Easter morning. Some hope in the resurrection at another celebration of the resurrection. But of course, this is not a normal Easter for any of us. For those of us who've been in the UK for the last year or so, this is our second Easter in partial or total lockdown. And whatever we believe or don't believe, whether we have uh, sympathy for the mockers and scoffers of Christianity, even at a personal level, this has been an experience of lockdown and the pandemic, which surely has invited all of us to ask these profound questions about life and death and meaning. At the beginning of this week, uh, a writer called John Harris in the Guardian newspaper reflected on what it was for him to have ticked the no religion box in the census form that we were all involved with a week or so ago. And uh, he ticked the no religion box, and then he wondered, you know, what would it be like to have a religious faith that might give some kind of hope or comfort? And he wrote this, like millions of other faithless people, I have not even the flimsiest of narratives to project onto what has happened, nor any real vocabulary with which to talk about the profundities of life and death. And then the article ended like this. For many of us, life without God 
has turned out to be life without fellowship and shared meaning, and in the midst of the most disorientating, debilitating crisis most of us have ever known, that social tragedy now cries out for action. Well, I find that a really sobering thing to read. If I'm honest, I don't know where I would have been without my Christian faith these past 12 months, and I hope for many of you who are engaging with this this morning, you would say the same. I think his appeal to action right at the end there is, uh, is almost kind of clutching at straws. We've got to do something, whereas actually we're invited to be someone. Uh, at the end of that article, there was also an accompanying picture, which I think we can see. There is uh, a woman looking out of her window at uh, a church and indeed a mosque, both with people thronging towards them. Uh, exactly the kind of scene you'd have seen in our own city on Friday of this week just gone. And then you might also notice her calendar, which is already on June, with one date, the 21st, this kind of hoped-for freedom day, ringed in red. She's waiting till the 21st of June, but we don't have to wait until then. We can celebrate this new hope today in the here and now. We may live in a culture which is desperately waiting and hoping for something suddenly to get better on the 21st of June, but the amazing news of Easter is that the victory is won today. Now, I don't want to sound inappropriately triumphalist, but I do want to say, thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. And the point is that in Christ, all these things really do hold together, and they hold together because of what happens on the cross and with the empty tomb. But we do need to be honest about the scale of the challenges that we have faced in the past year. On Monday Thursday, we heard some reflections in the evening from postgrads, and one of them was, I think, incredibly moving about the sheer difficulty he had found in reading his Bible and praying, uh, given the severity of what we were all going through these past months. And on Good Friday, we heard an interview with Emma Hunt, a newly qualified nurse in our church congregation. I really recommend watching that back on YouTube if you didn't see it already. Her talking so movingly about accompanying people at the time of their death, when those were awful and untimely deaths. And the point is, the resurrection meets the reality of our world with all of its mess and all of its suffering, but the cross and the empty tomb show us a new way forward. And there is so much that we look around at our world with pain and suffering today, whether we look at situations in our own city or wars in places like Yemen or Syria or racial injustice or the state of the planet we have this powerful reminder that death has been defeated, but yet we still live in this in-between time when the good news is not completely finalized. And so that's why I want to also draw our attention to the passage from Isaiah that we heard read, where Isaiah is describing the Lord's 
ultimate, final victory. There are three aspects of this. A table is laid, death is destroyed, and our tears are wiped away. Now, we're aware that there are a few families here in church, and there may be some of you who are families uh, watching at home. So I have three accompanying images, which uh, for those at the younger end of the age spectrum might just resonate. Uh, Isaiah's mention of a banquet made me think of a family favorite in our house, a book called You Choose. I don't know if there are any You Choose devotees uh, present this morning, but uh, Isaiah writes of a, rich a feast of rich food for all peoples. You can choose whatever you want. I feel as though I've spent many hours of my life in front of these pages, uh, accompanying people as they choose whatever they would want. Uh, the good news is this includes the best of meats and the finest of wines. No doubt, vegan and non-alcoholic options are also available, but as far as Isaiah is concerned, you can have the meat and the wine. And so indeed, if you're at home and can already smell the roast lamb uh, as I'm talking, uh, you can be assured that you're in good company. God's victory is something glorious and to be celebrated. And then there's a second aspect in this passage, that death will be swallowed up forever. No more shrouds, but a final victory. Easter helps us to take death seriously, but with renewed hope. Now, if you're of a certain age, you might think that there's a Microsoft search engine called Bing, but if you have young children uh, involved in your life, you'll know that Bing is actually a CBeebies cartoon character. And there is a particular episode that involves Bing and a butterfly. Now, this caused a little bit of uh, discussion on Mumsnet and elsewhere. There's no nice way of putting it. Uh, as the caption says, CBeebies Bing tries to help a butterfly, but accidentally kills it. And it's a rather sad episode uh, as they come to terms with death. But on Easter Day, we are called to face the reality of our mortality and Jesus's mortality, and to know that there is an amazing hope, this promise that the pain of death has ultimately been defeated, and that we have the promise of eternal life. And thirdly, and related to that in this passage, the promise that the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Well, I want to introduce you for a moment to a favorite page from the Action Bible, if you're not familiar with this. It's uh, the whole of the Bible told in comic strip format, uh, and it's, um, it's pretty amazing. This is a page right from the end in Revelation, the final destruction uh, of evil and uh, Certainly, there are people in my household who enjoy the pictures of the dragon at this point. Um, but of course, in Revelation chapter 21, we get an echo of our reading from Isaiah, where in the new heaven and the new earth, we read, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then in the bottom right, you can see chapter 22, Eden is restored, the river of the water of life is flowing. The Bible ends with that future hope that is also found in our passage from Isaiah this morning, a future promise that every tear 
will be wiped away. But not quite yet. For now, we live with the joy of the resurrection, but in what is often referred to as the now and not yet of life in the kingdom. We can see the ultimate power of death and sin has been defeated. And whatever happens to us in this life, that hope cannot be taken away. But we also know, some of us very personally, that death and sin still have a terrible impact in our world today. And the church isn't an escape from that. The church is called to be a beacon of light and life and hope in the midst of a darkened world. One theologian, the uh, Oxford theologian Alistair McGrath, writing about this passage in Isaiah, says very simply this, the people of God will finally find that their trust in the Lord has been totally vindicated. And this Easter, I know that many of us gather facing situations of deep pain and uncertainty in our lives. And the truth of the resurrection doesn't miraculously solve the daily reality of these problems. But the Easter hope brings us into a living relationship with the God who hears our cries and who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring comfort and inspiration and healing, unlike anyone or anything else. And this is possible because Jesus accepted the way of the cross, defeating death and opening the path to life. And so whether we are young enough to be watching Bing or old enough to remember where we were when JFK was assassinated, this is life-changing good news. It puts all of the world's suffering in perspective, including the horrors of coronavirus. And it gives us hope. This amazing news, first shared by women, this news that defeats the logic of science, this God who offers us a banquet as he defeats death and comforts us, this God invites you into relationship with him. And so whatever you personally are facing this Easter, I pray that you will be able to put your trust in the God who raised his son from the dead and who sends his spirit to bring life and hope. Amen.